The Failure Hypothesis is a Maledro digital production. If you're interested in making business content with interest or want to tell your story in a future episode, you can contact us at info at maledrodigital.com. Hi, my name is Vivian Chan, and you're listening to The Failure Hypothesis. Over the course of this podcast series, I'm going to be talking to some of the most interesting leaders from all around the world, from Brazil to the UK, from India to America, all about failure. We'll be testing the simple hypothesis that radical honesty about failure is the secret to success. But is it really that simple? Sometimes, is it better to just keep moving forward? Why can't we just think like a rocket scientist when it comes to failure? To help us find out the answer to these questions and more, we've assembled a dream team of guests that includes the chief scientist of a global tech company, the president of a major record label, a private equity titan, and a Webby award-winning podcaster. For new listeners who want to learn more about the failure hypothesis and the timeless mission to get the leaders of today and tomorrow all talking more openly about failure, please check out episode one, wherever you get your podcasts. My guest today is Jay Shree Sait, Chief Science Advocate at 3M, the global science-based technology company named as the world's most ethical company for eight years in a row. Advocate is more than a word in Jay Shree's job title. It describes her approach to leadership. She's a powerful and passionate advocate for women in STEM and challenging outdated approaches to science. Jay Shree has too many patents, academic qualifications, awards, honors, and other accomplishments to mention them all here. But just to mention a few, she's the first female engineer to be inducted into the Carlton Society, a published author, was featured in the docuseries, Not the Science Type, which premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival this year and is a recipient of the Society of Female Engineers Highest Achievement Award. I am biased, of course, but I believe scientists make great leaders. I couldn't ask for a better example than Jay Street, and that's why I'm so delighted to have her on the show today. Jay Shree joins me today to share her personal experiences with failure in her career and how this experience has shaped and informed the success that she enjoys today. So, Jay Shree, welcome to the show. Thank you, Vivian. Thanks for having me. I was uh, fascinated with the introduction you just gave. So thank you. No, no, definitely. I think you've done so much. I can't wait to really dive into all of that. Um, so before we talk about all of the kind of um, the background, etc., I wanted to give the floor to you and talk a little bit about failure. Where did you want to start about, about sharing a failure story? You know, it's very interesting when I got uh, your note asking about failure and talking about it and starting from the very beginning. It's interesting mm-hmm. that I started thinking about, you know, when was the first time did I ever think about failure? And what I settled on was um, that my uh, mom really wanted me to learn dance. That's something that she couldn't do. And um, this was, I was uh, a young kid in India and, uh, you know, the kungurus were procured and the instruments were bought and 
uh, we were all set. A teacher was arranged and would come to my house. And it turned out that I had a lot of uh, bouts of asthma and, and bronchitis and things like that. And, and the mm -hmm. practice would get disrupted. And at the end of the day, we, we figured, okay, if this continues and asthma continues and is going to be part, maybe dance is not for her. So it's the first uh -huh. time I remember, at least, when the expected outcome did. What age happen. were you? This was, I was about six. Oh, wow. That yeah. must have really made an imprint. I do. I mean, you know, yeah. it was interesting that, okay, everything is bought. We have everything. We have a teacher, but looks like the expected outcome isn't happening. So this, this must have been my, I think, first introduction to quote unquote failure uh, yeah. because the expected outcome wasn't met. And the way I thought it was, I understood it was, well, I guess it's not meant to be. Um, mm. you know, and then, uh, you know, fast forward now I was thinking about, you know, kind of the teenage years, the more formative part of my life. That's where I could, you know, really nail down something that I thought could be, uh, you know, represented as a quote unquote failure. And I can describe later why I keep saying it quote unquote failure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Know. Cause I was going to ask you, what is your definition of failure? I yeah. it's uh, yeah. And then we can talk about it after I explain my, my story now. <laughs> So I, we moved to this town uh, in, in, in India, which had one of the most premier engineering institutions, one of the oldest ones in all of Asia. And the idea was my dad would be a professor there and the kids can study in that school. I mean, you don't even have to leave home. My dad is a university mm -hmm. professor, himself has a PhD. And so that's where the kids will go to school, both my brother and I. So interestingly, even back in the day, the time and age I grew up, all the the kids, girls and boys, you know, sons and daughters were encouraged to go into engineering because we lived on the campus of this engineering institution. So that was sort of built in into the air I, you know, breathed and the, everything that that's what it's going to be because we we're surrounded by STEM professionals, science, technology, engineering and math. And you work towards this future that you're going to go yeah. there. And I don't yeah. know if, if many of your audiences can probably relate is that when you're growing up in the place that I was growing up in the culture that I was growing, you, you kind of did what your parents told you. <laughs> so, yeah. And if everyone else around you in that community felt that that was the norm, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody questioned it that, you know, and especially <laughs> there was this expectation of the kids that were, you know, considered smart, doing well in school. That was certainly me. So it was just the pressure that you had that everybody around you expects you to get in. Well, long story yeah. short, I didn't get in. I didn't get in. And, and go on. And go then on. it was this the first time it was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, so I didn't get in. So <laughs> now the layers of what failure means uh, had a second element to it. So the first one was, well, things weren't just meant to be. I mean, we did everything. We got the equipment, we got the teacher, we had the intention, you know, but we had the resources, but it wasn't meant to be. The second one now was in my mind, you know, did I work hard enough for this? Like, did I truly work hard enough for it? Yes, everybody knew, I knew this was supposed to be done. Was I excited and inspired and energized to do it? I, if I was to be honest, the answer is no. And so this was the second element of failure. You know, there is the part yeah. of, you know, where my parents and everybody's thinking, well, you know, going here is not meant to be. I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> did I try hard enough? Um, <laughs> and the reason was, I mean, my excuse, my defense is 
I just didn't see the connection of STEM fields to what I thought I wanted to do. I wanted to help oh. people. I wanted to improve lives. I want to make the world a better place. I was so interested in humanities and the human context. And unfortunately, I didn't see the connection and I didn't have anybody who explained that narrative the way yeah. my mind wanted it. And only fast forward a bazillion years later, I realized many little girls want that context because that is missing for them. Because now you and I both know STEM does exactly that. It solves problems, it helps people, it improves lives. But I didn't know that at that time. So I didn't have that inspiration and that extra oomph that is needed to work the best you can to get into this college. So that's sort of a failure. And then my parents were still committed to my engineering education. And I was frankly surprised when I was sent way down south in India, completely different part of the country, different language, different cultural norms, uh, different, uh, you know, um, everything, uh, food. And so I end up over there to pursue an engineering education. So, so that was because your parents felt, okay, uh, that maybe this institution isn't quite right, but they still felt engineering was right for you. So they still f made a decision for you, I guess. And yes. you yes. were still saying, okay, yeah, yeah, this sounds right. <laughs> um, I did work really hard. So I still pursue engineering. Yep, exactly. And so I went along that like I always did. And, you know, I've always liked working hard. So, you know, I did my my best that I could. And then uh, when everybody was applying to go to graduate school to the U.S., you know, I applied and I got in. So mm -hmm. long story short, I end up in the U.S. and I am in a master's program uh, pursuing my master's in chemical engineering. And that's where the sort of biggest third element of failure hit me is now I'm on my own, away from my country, my people, my land, what I know. And I'm in this situation and it ended up that my master's project was a computer-based project. I was sitting there and modeling the growth of crystals in space. And that's when I really hit rock bottom. That's the crystal I hit is because mm -hmm. I realized, is this what I really wanted to do? Like, is yeah. this what I want to do? Because didn't you say, Jayshree, you wanted to help people improve lives, solve problems, work on this human, you know, element. And I was pushed to the extreme here. I was sitting all alone, doing my project all alone in a big lab where everybody else is running experiments, using their hands, uh, discussing stuff, making tangible things. And I just started hitting, I mean, just hitting a wall in terms of, am I doing this? Do I need to change something? Because this is the way it's going to be. You know, if I pursue this path and I pursue a PhD in this area, something wasn't right. And again, I wasn't, hadn't lived life long enough and hadn't made decisions <laughs> for myself at all to understand what was going on and what I really wanted. So that's where I felt like a failure because I was like, I left everything. I pursued this. I'm disappointing, going to disappoint my parents, you know, that, mm. that I, 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 I can't. But then what happened is I sort of figured out that I can reframe this. And that taught yeah. me the free framing of the situation to figure out how to really turn that quote unquote failure into a learning opportunity to figure out what it is that I want the first time in my life. So what I did was 
something that wasn't done uh, at least where I was going to school and back then is to change your fields and switch from your master's to your PhD to a completely different area, uh, different professor, different projects, different lab, different coworkers. So that's kind of what I did. And this mm -hmm. was an area where I could develop that context that I needed. I could run experiments, use my hands. I could collaborate with other lab mates and I had a very supportive professor. And that I think changed everything for me from then on. And I realized what I wanted and I made it a really cornerstone of my rest of my life is about um, making sure I have developed a context that inspires me, a compelling narrative that I'm working towards. And uh, that would be my three experiences. I can give you a lot of experiences during my career about failure, yeah. but those are really not failure because I just turn back and I tell everybody who wants to turn it into a failure narrative, I reframe it to how can you call it a failure when we learned so many things? And we learned so many things that gave rise to so many different projects that have since been successful from a commercial perspective. Uh, it's really, we have to tell the right story about how things start. And if somebody hadn't done this, somebody else would have had to learn. So it's a very different continuum in my mind of what people should be allowed to call a failure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's very interesting. I kind of wanted to take you back to the point that you said, the third one, where it was when you hit rock bottom. And that was when reflection came in. Mm -hmm. And you really looked at self-awareness, you know, having that awareness around you. Um, and then you said you decided to reframe. I wanted to dig a little bit more around that. How how did you know to reframe and how did you reframe it was it something that you kind of learned from uh reading from uh the the talking to people how how did you get into the mindset actually of hang on a second i need to hit the reframe button yes very very important uh point that you're bringing up and a very good question and uh I remember the actual moment when I felt like this is, I've never felt this before. I am not a, I'm a very positive person. I'm very optimistic. I work very hard. I've always had uh, little successes in my way, you know, of the way I worked and the uh, academic successes and things like that. Feeling this strange feeling of being alone in this and not knowing what to do was very different for me. Yeah, And I just reached out to a couple of people who were in my department who I had developed a friendship with. And one of them just said, what is the big deal? Just leave that lab and come to our lab. You know, just, just do it. And I'm like, oh my God, I've done the masters in this area. I've already sunk two years into this. And now if I'm going to move, there's going to be a new professor. There's going to be a new, this thing. I know nothing about this area. I've never run experiments like this. And uh, this person said, but what is the big deal? Look at mm -hmm. everything that you have done. You hadn't mm -hmm. computer modeled the growth of crystals in space before. You had never. <laughs> so just somebody else just reminding you of your own self-worth and how far you have come perspective yeah just perspective yeah. and somebody who was looking at it going you know what what is the big deal right and it's annoying to think about it that somebody would say what is the big deal because it's such a big deal to you but then it <laughs> gives you perspective if you keep your listening ears open and you go you know what it can't be that bad and then you started thinking 
And in looking back, you know, I was thinking there were 14 students in the first lab that I was in. They were all men. And I'd never even thought about it. But now that I look back, I, I wonder if it would have been different if there was just one other woman in that lab. Would it yeah. have been different? Would it yeah. have been different if my advisor actually sat in the same building and was a little more interested in learning about the students? Would I have felt more valued and cared for and engaged? Yeah. You know, so there are little least lessons in leadership I learned in hindsight that if I am ever in that position where I have the position of power, how do I make sure people feel valued and engaged and, and the idea of collaboration and helping each other and all of that and how they were so core to me and that I must have been at that time as this young student missing all of that. I thought about this new professor. I thought about my interactions. I thought about the students and I was like, you know what? And the context of this project, yes, we're going to make it work. I must admit, though, it lit a fire under me. I barely ever left that lab because to me, I was proving to myself, I can do this. I can do wow. this. I have yeah. to reframe this. And I was so excited to run every single experiment I could think of. I collaborated with every student in that lab. I collaborated with professors outside my organization. I collaborated with professors in different countries because I had this fire lit under me. And, and I can still sense the fire, just, just the way that you're talking about it now. It's just another upbeat um, when you started to talk about the, the change of the lab. Mm -hmm. um, and just now in terms of how you talked about how persistent you were mm -hmm. to reframe it mm -hmm. was what, what was really interesting is you, were, you used the words alone mm -hmm. and disappointment to describe the situation that a physically you were in because you also were in a foreign place, different um, groups of um, connections and you were physically and I guess uh, emotionally feeling very alone to then someone reaching out to you and going, just come over here, <laughs> just come over here. Um, and then now what I am sensing is this, this fire that actually is created your leadership style um, to make sure that no one ever ever has to feel that way. Um, but I, I was curious if if that isn't your like you were talking about the what ifs, but the journey I think has been incredible because if you didn't hit that rock bottom place, do you think you would have asked the questions? And therefore, would you have landed where you are now? I would say no because I would have just been going along, you know, and. Yep. Yep. And just not very hard and yep. <laughs> yep. And just recognizing and gaining that perspective and having built these connections that felt comfortable. Yeah. Telling me it's not that big a deal. And you knew it was coming from a good place. So I think what I learned is that, you know, if you develop enough connections and people will reach out to you if you are able to express that you are feeling something because sometimes we don't want to do that and we're not yep. sure of the kind of advice we might get and what really helped is that I had interacted with these other professors in other settings and I actually sen sensed that this would be a much better leadership style of the lab for mm -hmm. me I didn't know that I needed these connections yeah then I realized that yes I think this would be a lot better uh, you know, and that's when I did the move and it, and then I went and met the professor and then I was just convinced because he said, yes, we would love to have you. And just the sense of somebody wanting you there, people wanting to collaborate, people again, seeing what you can offer 
I think yeah. that was uh, really something that was placed in me. And I was like, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show it to you that you did not make the wrong decision. And I worked so hard and I loved it because I was inspired. I did not want to leave that lab till I have done this and that and this and that. So that's when I realized Jayshree can be so fired up when she's fired up. Why would you want to live life without being fired up? Was that the first time you felt really alive and fired up? Yes. And and without being fired up, I was doing plenty good, you know. I know, exactly. You were working really hard right, and doing very well. So yeah, now yeah. the magic was unleashed, right? Yes, it totally was. So hitting that sort of point of where I realized that I was I need to reframe this because I need to feel that that sense of being alive and being inspired and being energized and so that's what i do in mm -hmm. everything i do i build that compelling story of why we should be doing this why is it important that human context of what we're doing and then the sense of the compelling narrative that can inspire others and then i work on whatever problem it may be but i work with others to collaborate to solve it once we are all inspired to move towards that vision and I am honestly, and I look around, especially in the pandemic, I hear a lot of people saying those words, but they're really not inspiring. <laughs> yeah. So it's like inspiration comes from first convincing yourself of why people should do this. And when you have truly convinced yourself, it's easy to inspire others. So that's the leadership style I adopt in whatever I do. It's like, here's what we're going to do. Here's why it's important. Here's why I think we should be pursuing it this way. Come on, join this and let's solve this problem. So, yeah, in a way, you now have kind of adopted a leadership style, which is very much looking at trying to unlock that fire within a whole bunch of other people that work with you, mm -hmm. which is very, very exciting. Um, and I know that you kind of like to call yourself a generalist now, mm -hmm. even though studying in, you know, engineering and all the labs and all the research are not really a specialist. Mm -hmm. And is that because of the human context and the problem solving side that now you felt that because you wanted to reach out and offer more collaborations? Now you felt that the generalist uh, style is really where you thrive at? Yes, I think that and the fact that I want to chase problems to solve. I don't want to just be in one particular area because if I am just in one particular area, I won't be able to solve the problem that I feel is the biggest one to solve. So I go after problems and you realize that not many people want to do that. They want to stick in their particular area and, yeah. you know, when people say solve this problem, they're really good at it. And what is the beauty of 3M is that we've got both people and a culture that allows both to be successful. And that's why I ended up in the place that is perfect for me, because there is a sense of empowerment. So I am one of those people who wants to identify the problem to solve, inspire others <laughs> and collaborate to solve. So I am the T person who can find the I people and the I and T yeah. is where the it factor is, is how I like to say it. <laughs> because I can, what my background and my history also taught me is something that is very crucial that many people never learn throughout their lives is the opportunity to give yourself the the the, the discomfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I yep. experienced that when my family moved from where we were to this place where it's a different state. 
And then to this place where I had to learn the language just to read the bus signs because I would mm -hmm. not know how to read that and thrive and survive in a place that was completely different. This is like going from Ireland to Portugal is how I like to say it, completely different in India for those of you who know India. And then I left the country and then I worked in an area of growing crystals in space and modeling them. And then I went to Diamond Light Carbon Films and then I came to 3M and I started working on disposable diapers. That's a product that I had never seen in my life. And that's when I realized it really doesn't matter I can solve whatever problem it is because the system is very clear on how you do it. You gather yeah. as much information as you can. And I call this process the process of mosaic building. You collect as many tiles as you can. You talk to as many people who seem to be carrying a tile about it. You put it all together like an artist and you take a step back and you let the big picture evolve and it tells you the story and it tells you mm -hmm. what you're going to do. But you also see what I'm bringing in. I'm bringing in my humanities context into science. I'm bringing in what fired me up when I was a child, the humanities con construct. And I see how important it is to bring that in science. And we're all seeing how important the humanities and the human factor is during the pandemic. So it all sort of came together for me which I feel very yeah. fortunate for. The mosaic building process sounds very colorful and sounds very, very, um, uh, very beautifully creative um, is, is what I'm imagining right now. But it's interesting that kind of you were talking about in order to, to, to get to where you were um, and to be very curious about you know, what is right for you, you had to go through the moment of discomfort and it was in those moments of discomfort that, you know, often you that is where you might fail first before you succeed. Do you, mm -hmm. do you feel that that is kind of a necessity that you have to fail in some degree first for you to learn the lessons and then progress? And then, you know, that maybe whether it's a broken or not broken piece of the mosaic actually adds to your mosaic puzzle to further build the story. What do you feel that is true? I just call it learning. I really don't mm -hmm. use the word failure. And I've and I and I've often thought about why is it people are quickly rush to label things a success or a failure. And I, mm -hmm. the more I think about it, the more I feel it's a little bit of a Western construct. Mm. focusing on the singularity, focusing on singular people, you know, and, and ignoring the fact that humans operate in the multiplicity of ways that we do. So having grown up the way I did and where I did, I think the I'm more of Eastern philosophy in my mind. It's like, well, you're never going to learn if you don't try this. So it's all about yeah. we're going to learn because the, the, this whole construct of hailing something as a success or hailing something as a failure and then 10 years later figuring out oh that wasn't correct <laughs> oh now we need to cancel this person or cancel this thing or because well because we did not account for the multiplicity of what constitutes success or failure so i kind of like to bring back gently because i think it's important to explain that listen neither i'm gonna take credit nor i'm taking blame uh, mm -hmm. You know, because we are in the process of learning and 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 saying that this was successful because, let's say, of Jayshree or because of Vivian or whatever. Yes, were we part of that element? Yes. But there were a lot of other things that conspired to yield that success. So let's 
have the high ego, but have the high humility to also accept that there was a, a lot of things that had to come together to make this happen. We have the tendency to yeah. hail something as success and failure and hail the people involved with it along with it. And I think it, it should be minimized a little because that itself stops, let's just be honest, many women and underrepresented minorities in specific fields to actually step up and do things because it creates this sense of trepidation. And I think it should be more about the process of learning, because one of my favorite things that I'm telling leaders these days is, you know, stop using the word leverage because you have leveraged the heck out of everything. When are you going to learn? <laughs> Let's really start like learning that. because remember, you can only leverage if you learn. And if you are yep. leveraging learnings that were made about a 10 years ago, we have lived yep, hundred years of the pandemic. <laughs> so let's get to it. And so I subtly drop these words so that people understand that we have to be learning in order to leverage. So, and learning comes with, oh, we should go this way. Oh, we shouldn't go this way. And you know what? Because we went here and because we showed that this didn't work at that moment in time, let's be smarter about what we do next. And if we don't have that process, don't be surprised if you don't get big successes in the marketplace because you never learned. And the process of learning teaches your people a whole lot more than the process of just leveraging. That's very, very well put, because I think in a way, the like you said, right, success and failure is seems very binary and, and life is a journey. It's very mm -hmm. fluid. It's never OK. Here's the outcome. I stop now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and and uh, and what was really interesting in what you said around that was also around the cultural side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, also being from a uh, Eastern culture heritage background myself and I, a lot of what you said in the in the early days in your childhood really resonated in terms of this is what you do this is what you work really hard for this is the expectations of your family um, and you you do work really hard you know you end up I, I was not quite exactly the same but I also ended up in a lab in Cambridge um, loving the community loving the people but having a bit of a I'm not sure I want to be creating crystals for the rest of my life um, to, you know, to solve a really powerful early stage crystallography type research. But for me, I was very similar to you. I really liked the output and the applications and the impact mm -hmm. of the science rather than the earlier stage theoretical research side. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I do I do wonder some days now that actually is it because of the education system um, and the exposure to interdisciplinaries that has enabled us to have more opportunities to learn across disciplines rather than your traditional, you know, trajectory of engineering per se? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think uh, a lot of problem solving mindset needs to be encouraged because we need all kinds. We need the diversity in terms of diversity of thinking. And mm. if people mm. are geared towards problem solving, which seems to be what mm. I'm geared towards, and more of building that context and drawing upon whatever area I can draw upon to, to solve that problem, I will do that. We need that. And we need the depth in particular areas so that when the problem is identified, those tools are available in your toolbox, you know? I mean, that's the beauty of this whole mosaic building, right? 
Hmm. You know, there's mystery. We don't know what all we'll need. There's drama. There's intrigue. And it's, it's the whole idea that we basically need to figure out what is it that we're going to pull together as our tool set and what is it that we're all going to work on in order to move the needle in the right direction. All of that requires a lot of avenues you want to go and pull together. So mm -hmm. there is that interdisciplinary uh, application at play, but also asking the questions, what discipline should we be pulling in and pulling yeah. them all in? And I think those that practice comes naturally for problem solvers. I got a problem. Yeah. I got to solve it. Doesn't matter what it takes. Yep. 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 And, and the way you're describing it is very, you know, in a way, the problem solving, the learning process, as you described it, not the failure, it's very scientific, right? That's kind of naturally what scientists do. Mm -hmm. We find a problem. Oh, here's the data. Okay. That may or may not have aligned to a hypothesis, not necessarily mean it's a failure, right? Sometimes you get a, no. you do all the experiment and it's inconclusive. Oh, so it's not a yes or a no, it's I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what do I do with that now, right? right? And I love the way you're describing it. The whole uh, methodology seems to be uh, geared around this um, agile kind of learning process. And as part of that learning process, what I am hearing is that you like to help other people learn that methodology and then find inspiration throughout that. Isn't is that what I'm hearing? Yes, I actually, um, you're very perceptive because I actually teach that. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you know, people want to know why is it that you're able to get uh, the funding for some of these uh, early projects and scouting projects and things like that. And I say it's simply because you build the mosaic mm -hmm. and it's a mosaic. It's not a puzzle because a puzzle fits exactly so. The mosaic is wherever you put the tiles. It's up to you. You organically sort of develop it and you just start looking at what this picture is telling you and it gives you a compelling narrative. And you try that compelling narrative out on a few people. They ask a few questions. You figure out what tiles you need in order to answer those questions. And it just makes for this very powerful narrative that you can convince yourself that this problem is worth solving. And then you start pulling people who are now saying, yep, this problem is worth solving. Now you convince a committee to give you the money and they say it's worth solving. And then you're energized. To solve it and then you say this is what we wanted to solve this is what we found and this is what we did and here's this is what can that can happen as a result any initiative Amazing. like that is a success it may not yep. give you a huge commercial success right off the bat that doesn't ever happen <laughs> people don't talk about that <laughs> the process it takes to get to large commercial success it just does not drop itself in your lap it's the process no of making people comfortable with the discomfort. You just trained yes. more people to do that. We are better as an organization. We will leverage that capability that we just established without making a single dollar. But do you now realize that those people now know how to navigate uncharted territory? Do you realize that they now figured out how to network with other people and build these strong relationships and foster trust? I mean, let's not ignore all the positive that comes out of that. That, that they learned how to budget their own experiments because this was a scouting project and we were just given the money, which by the mm -hmm. way, we do at 3M. We have grants called Genesis Grants. We go, we convince people this is not part of our daily job, but we want to solve on this, work on this because it's part of our 15% time effort. Mm 
Yeah. And yeah. we get together and we build our network. So my huge network at 3M of scientists is built through all my projects that are in all different areas that I don't work on. And have they all been commercially successful? No, they have been quote unquote failures. But did we learn? Did we gain? Did we move the needle? Absolutely. We have to move the needle to move the mountain. Mm, uh, well said. Uh, well said. I mean, there is just so much like that. I was just really, really uh, inspired just through the, the, the of what you just kind of mentioned about the process of it all. And also because what is the one thing that you did mention about was, you know, the women in STEM and that when you were back in the lab, there was only you were one out of like 14 mm -hmm. of men in the lab with mm -hmm. you. And if now you could actually, you know, that there's still a bit of work to be done to inc um, encourage more women in STEM. Um, how would you use your methodology and inspiration to try to reach out to those girls and young listeners uh, to this podcast today? Absolutely. Um, I can give you my spiel. I say the real shtick is STEM, science, humanities, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. I feel that we, girls are inspired by context. And that wasn't just me. I raised a son and a daughter, and I saw clearly the difference between the two. For my son, mm -hmm. the content was enough. We're going to robotics. Yay, we're going to robotics. For my daughter, it was like, why, why, mm -hmm. why? It was always the context. And so it really hit me that the context of what we're doing is so much more important than the content. Once she was inspired by the context, it didn't matter what it took to solve that problem. The science yeah. just came along the way and, and it's fine. It wasn't yeah. about that. And I think just the way the entire field is laid out is so content heavy because yep. right or wrong, it has been very male centric and it has That's been right. laid yeah. out in a very male centric way. So mm -hmm. I make a very big deal about talking about my own journey that I was not a science and engineering type as much as I could tell when I was growing up. Humanities mm -hmm. and the human context was so important to me. And I ended up in science. But look, I am today at the level of corporate scientist, which is the highest designation that one can attain. And I never went to the top schools. I, I got into 3M through the back door, but I always kept true to my style that I'm going to build context. I'm going to build community. I'm going to build collaboration and I'm going to build communication. And I kept it to those things and I've been successful. So come on down, join us. There is room for us. <laughs> Want to solve problems, improve lives and are inspired by the content that context will carry you through the content that's the easy part don't let yeah. that part scare you don't let that part scare you that will come as long as you do remain authentic to your style and 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 bring that because god knows we need more contextual decision making we wouldn't be in some of the trouble that we're in if more people had used context like i do <laughs> yeah so. or simply ask it was it's great learning that you've already picked up right i didn't know that females maybe this made a lot of sense for my childhood now me and my sister mm. we were both asking why 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 oh. why um ended up as a scientist naturally but uh, that was just interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, you know. there's a lot of research out there on that topic. And in fact, I actually wanted to research what was that feeling that I had in uh, grad school. And it's mm -hmm. actually called communal goal incongruity. 
So wow. you had communal goals and you seemingly are working towards more agentic things and you feel inside that you are not perhaps satisfied and you start yep. feeling this cognitive dissonance. Is this what I wanted to do? And that's exactly what it was for me, communal goal incongruity. When I came to 3M and I could build community and in this culture of empowerment where, you know, collaboration is built in and all of that, I suddenly was just flourishing because of that. And I'd already seen that in grad school. So I fortunately ended up in that environment. And I talk a lot about that, that we cannot let this kind of culture not be sustained because it's great for people like me who wanted that communal goal in congruity. From the day I entered 3M, I was applying science to improve lives. I was solving problems mm -hmm. that matters, working on big sustainability mm -hmm. challenges. So all that gave me this communal goal congruity. I would say these days, it's all young folks. They need that sense of purpose. So this is a perfect place for us to tie in science with that context of improving lives and helping people. And in fact, that's the beauty of it right now. We do a survey every year called the 3M State of Science Index, and it's essentially to assess the global perception of science yep. and what the public feels. And before the pandemic, the trust was low, skepticism was rising. But during the pandemic, people are seeing science in the forefront. You know, it was a very interesting moment in time, right, where all of us faced yep. the same existential crisis, the same threat, and waited for the same gift of science and the vaccine. So suddenly, right now, science skepticism is down, trust is up. What a great time for us to advocate for science and put that in context of our health, of trust, of sustainability, and of underrepresented minority and STEM equity and social justice. It's that perfect time to do that because we need that diversity in STEM. We need that in innovation for innovation and we need that for our survival. Oh, absolutely. Definitely for the survival, as you can tell from the pandemic side of things. Um, well, I, I want to come back to the 3M bit in a, in a little while as well, because I think what you guys are doing is very, very exciting, especially the state of science index. Um, there is just also from so some of our other guests that we've had discussions with is is also how do we get audiences to find people to unlock? Right. So, for example, you were very fortunate to be in an environment in 3M where they really had the right culture uh, to stimulate all of this. But some of the guests were saying that, you know, if they don't have that culture, how, how can they go perhaps find someone like a mentor to help them? Is, is mentorship a thing that you've experienced in your in 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 your journey that has been really helpful? Yeah, I, the way I look at it is. Um... Again, uh, you'll be able to tell that I'm not one of those people who likes labels a lot. Um, <laughs> so to me, I think people are getting too fixated on the idea of finding this one mentor or finding yeah. this one person. And what I have done, which I highly recommend that people do, is learn and just listen and learn from everybody around you. There are bazillion mentorship moments for you throughout your life, throughout your day. Just think a moment to reflect. Don't go after the, you know, again, this outcome of I have a mentor. I need a mentor. I want a mentor. It's mm -hmm. about the process of what does that really mean? That means you're going to be listening to someone. You're going to establish a relationship with them and you're going to be taking their advice and thinking through it. If that is the case, there's a lot you can do without having that one person. So I would say 
I've sort of, and I didn't know this about me, but I would observe what others are doing, how they're speaking, how they're interacting. And I would make little notes to myself about things I like, don't like, Mm. you know, Mm. and that good experiences, not so good experiences, my own good behavior or not so good behavior has been the teacher all along. And the way I like to say it is all those formative meandering years are years where people are mentoring you. You just don't know. You just need to keep your eyes and ears open to actually absorb some of this because it's about those early education. And I'm doing the air uh, air quotes. This is not book education, but that early education, exposure, environment, everything that I imbibe, that you imbibe, everybody imbibe from their own families and things like that. Those are great mentorship moments because to this day, I look back at some of the things that I draw upon. Those are strengths that came from my forefathers who I never met. So Mm -hmm. I go that deep and I say, if my great grandfather could do this, heck I can. Yeah. So people are relying too much on that one person to be your mentor. I think it's opening up and literally learning from people who didn't even have, you haven't even met, Mm -hmm. but you can somehow relate to. So look around you and find those moments of inspiration because it isn't one single person that can make it click for you. And sometimes maybe they can, but it is more about being open to learning and having a growth mindset, which makes you seek information, seek feedback, seek input, seek advice from as many people as you can. So my answer is I have worked with many, many, many people in my career, and I've had mentorship moments going both ways many, many, many times, including Mm -hmm. through the Mm -hmm. highest levels in the company to the people on the front line. Yeah. And it's all about the growth uh, mindset, as you said. Mm -hmm. Because once you have that growth mindset, you just become curious and then naturally you will observe and listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really well put. Um, so I was really curious um, when you were sharing the story, because when you might have felt, uh, air quotes, like a failure in those three um, situations, a lot of people would look at you and see you as very successful. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask, is there another objective way to measure failure? Again, I, I have to say that um, it's all about the learning that comes from it. So reframing is the only way I can think of uh, you uh, think through failure is like, what did I learn through that experience and how can I incorporate it into my strategy of moving forward so that I know that I will not, you know, sort of hit the same roadblock or uh, setback again. So I just uh, have a tough time, as I've explained, understanding the concept of failure. And I don't mean it lightly. I'm truly, I do not mean to understand what it means uh, to say failure. Uh, It's, it's, it's a learning experience. I learned something and, um, I'll just take with it, take it with me. And in fact, I have gone as far as to reframe it for others because sometimes people, because of office politics, might say, oh, that project was a failure. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why did you say that? Well, you know, never made any of this thing or this happened or we couldn't do this. But isn't that great that we figured out that we shouldn't do it? Yes, it might have been an expensive mistake. Maybe 
what could have been done better so that we wouldn't have made that decision. So it's mm-hmm. not a failure of the project, but it is the failure of leadership or is the failure of, you know, so let's put that in context because again, mm-hmm. the highlighting of a singular event or a singular person as a failure is something that we should all protest. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know we've kind of had a bit of a conversation where you brought up the term crucible moments. Um, would, do you want to explain to the audience what you mean by that? Yeah, so I think in looking back, right, when you're going through it, you don't kind of realize what is going on. But now when I am in this role and I am out there in the world, not in just in the lab, but actually speaking to audiences as a chief science advocate, I get this question often, well, how did you do this? How did you do this? And then you realize that there were some crucible moments in your life that kind of shaped who you are. And if I was to pull out those moments, I even go as much as what would have shaped my parents because they shaped us a particular way. Mm -hmm. And I think it is the fact that my dad and our young family lived in England. So we were there when my dad was doing his his uh, PhD. So a young family moving out of the country back in the day, living in England, coming back to India, our thinking was different from the thinking yeah. of everybody around us because not good or bad, just different because the yeah. exposure that you had. So the way we were raised was slightly different than my peers because of the exposure my parents had 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 and they had had to dig deep into figuring out what parts of the culture they want to absolutely keep and what parts of the culture they want to adopt and adapt to so those things shaped into crucible moments for me as I moved on and left home and went to this place where I knew nobody I did not know the language the culture the food and really learning how to build relationships when you don't even share a common language And how you can just by learning someone else's culture and appreciating it and being engaged in it, foster those connections that last you a lifetime. You could easily judge or you could easily assimilate and learn. And I naturally assimilated and learned, which created this environment, which allowed me to thrive. So how I use it today, you can have silos between R&D and manufacturing and sales and marketing. And all I do is I just go there and try to learn the language. And once you make mm-hmm. the attempt to learn their language, you suddenly see that people are on the same side and there's so much commonality pulling us together than pushing us apart. So those crucible experiences of being plucked from one place and being plopped into another shaped how I feel and think and act. And that same thing happened to me when I was plucked from the from India, and now I'm in the U.S. in an environment that I where I didn't think I could succeed. That crucible moment of reframing and figuring out what energizes me and what I want to work towards was a crucible experience, and I took that with me. And then the things that I have learned uh, in my journey at 3M. So. Looking back at those moments and figuring out what they taught you about yourself and what they taught about you navigating into your world really helps you shape your future. And and I've looked back on it a lot because I'm getting this question because now that the movie is out, our Mm -hmm. docuseries, Not the Science Type, and it features four scientists. And I'm one Mm -hmm. of the women scientists featured in it. And it tells my story and people are like, oh, wow, didn't know this, you know, all those kinds of things are, are beginning to come up. And I tell people, it's basically my uh, 
uh, immigrant mindset. And I want people to be very careful about that. I'm not saying the immigrant in the literal sense, mm -hmm. but being an immigrant in a new area every time. Adaptability. I, yes. You, you know, going back to that new area and saying, how do I navigate this? And mm -hmm. I'm telling people that that's the mindset we all need to have post pandemic because this is a new normal. We're all immigrants yep. here. Yeah. So that's yep. the only way to survive is through grit and resilience and adaptability and, uh, you know, a little bit of transcendence about who you are and what you want to do. So this show is all about testing a simple hypothesis about failure, which is our greatest failures are our most important experiments. Yet emotion often prevents us from examining and learning from these unexpected outcomes. There is constant pressure to celebrate success and hide failure. However, if we practice radical honesty and have the strength to be vulnerable, then we can turn out quote failure into a secret of our own success and help others do the same. Jayshree, are you a believer or a skeptic of the failure hypothesis? I agree. I agree that we all have to be um, radically honest and have the strength to be vulnerable. And I feel like the more people do that, the better off we're going to be um, before we start labeling things as failures or success. I'm more about the, the process than I'm about the outcome. So if Absolutely. we the process of continuous improvement can only happen if we are honest about it. Well, thank you, Jayashree, for being so honest and sharing your story today. We've talked a lot, a lot about your past and you've kind of hinted at the 3M state of science and, uh, and the docuseries, which I really want to dig into a little bit more. Um, so you, you talked about the docuseries being not the science type. How did the name come about? You know, because it was funny, uh, I kept saying, you know, when I was offered the role of chief science advocate, the first thing that hit me was, oh my gosh, they're asking me to be the chief science advocate. And here's somebody who never thought of themselves as the science type as they were growing up because <laughs> they completely lacked that, that context um, uh -huh. that, that science can do what, what, what it is that they aspired to do. So if you look at all the stereotypes and if you look at the archetypes and you look at the constructs, most of us, all four of us felt like, you know, we were not fitting in. So mm. this is a, so to back up, it is in a docu-series that essentially intends to, you know, inform, influence, and hopefully inspire, but it's all about fostering a conversation around shattering stereotypes that may deter women. And it yeah. shows that we are all the science type, that we can all have different paths and backgrounds. And it doesn't matter what your race or ethnicity or age or nationality, that you can blaze trails like Sierra Sevels did, who's the first black engineer, nuclear engineer. You can pursue your passions uh, like uh, Gitanjali Rao does, who's a kid who has never had a science degree, but just wants to solve problems. That you can bring in your interest as uh, Jessica Taft did, which is I want to work with microbiology, but I want to work with people. So shaping into, you know, um, a role in public health and you can uh, bring in your interests like I did the human mm -hmm. context I mean yep. your potential is exponential and so we want to catalyze this conversation around changing the constructs dismantling the archetypes shattering the stereotypes of who enters who persists 
and who excels in STEM. So I invite all the listeners to check it out at 3m.com slash not the science type. Perfect. I was just going to ask where they can find that. And then I know you're also on the side working on a book. I have finished a book, actually. Okay. Uh, yeah, the book was uh, launched uh, last year. So I actually wrote it uh, uh, during the pandemic, uh, you know, all the lockdowns and things like that. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's essentially um, the book is called The Heart of Science, Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints and Imprints. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe we can put the uh, link at in Amazon in in the show notes. It's basically a compilation yeah. of my essays and a lot of topics that I talked about today. So it's not mm-hmm. a book about science or my scientific projects or products and patents. It's about mundane matters like leadership, communication, innovation, career journey, parenting, my experiences, and all my perspectives on these topics. And 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 I talk about it's not where you reach, but also what you did and how you did it. So that's how the title came about. And I give a lot of examples from my career and my thoughts and reflection and insights because the footprints and the fingerprint matter, but also the imprints yep. that you can leave on yes. you know, hearts and minds. And, yes. and I wrote it during this time because, you know, it, it was a tough year. Everybody knows that unprecedented. It's a it's it's a overused word right now, but it was also the year that unmasked sort of this pervasive nature of the virus that is systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, catalyzed and crystallized by the raw and revealing events right here in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. You know, we are headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota. So right there in Minneapolis, this happened. And we are seeing the disproportionate impact of the virus on the communities of color as well. So just like many others, I went through this cycle of shock and numbness and denial and then the intense desire to help and, 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 and be productive with purpose. And so what I did is I compiled this and we published it through Society of Women Engineers and all proceeds go for a scholarship for a black woman in STEM. And I am so happy to let you know, Vivian, that we sold enough copies that this Monday I found out that the student has been chosen who will start their educational journey. Oh, that is so amazing. Are you emotional? Yeah, exactly. Can we find out more about um, who's been the winner, selected as a winner, and then her journey? um, We can once we have the discussions with her and if they're willing to be, uh, you know, sort of talking about it. But I can tell you, it is uh, somebody who is going to pursue mechanical engineering. So I'm excited (laughs) because, you know what, and that's the thing. Spread the word, get your copy, take a picture, share. We can all be at the heart of starting a STEM chapter in someone else's life and truly engineering our all our collective future and so it's not just what people take away from this book they're giving something as well when they buy it so i really thought you know this would be a great way to make hashtag 2020 count and i'm super excited that we did it well i'm very very glad that you're um, making so much impact in this world in so many different channels um, and brought so much inspiration to many and also definitely through our audiences in the podcast today and you've definitely left many imprints in my mind tonight <laughs> so thank you so much um, for you know being on the show and we'll be cheering you on as a failure hypothesis alumni thank you again so much for coming here and sharing your story Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Failure Hypothesis with me, Vivian Chan. To hear other inspiring stories from unique leaders, 
please subscribe to The Failure Hypothesis on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Failure Hypothesis, a Maledro Digital production. To find out more about making and appearing in business content with interest, visit our website at maledrodigital.com.